Tuzia Uncut. In this episode, we discuss the diplomatic mess we are faced with involving all the great players, our neighbors and Cyprus. But what dominates Turkish Cypriot media is the panic due to COVID-19 and the possible repercussions on the upcoming elections. And we hear your feedback on our podcasts. Hello, Andromahi. It's been uh, some time. Um, we were planning to do this earlier, but uh, it never happened. Yes, well, sometimes, I don't know, we get caught on uh, in life. Hello, Kemal. How are you? All right. Are you uh, COVID-free? <laughs> I think I am, but you can never be sure. And um, maybe we can discuss a little bit later about how this uh, became a, a big uh, panic uh, recently uh, this week. In, yes, in I think it's worth it. Yep. Yeah, but uh, shall we start with what's going on with this bigger context of EU-Cyprus relations? Uh, Russia is involved now. There is this Belarus uh, uh, issue. How are these things are coming together? And uh, maybe not getting into so much details, but maybe give a little bit of a, a background to our listeners. What's going on? Oh, it's, it's, it's all a mess, basically, because, you see, I mean, the European Union has been trying to impose sanctions on Belarus, and because of the situation with uh, Lukashenko and the elections that took place a while ago, and the European media, like the Reuters and Bloomberg, uh, have reported this week that basically Nicosia is blocking these sanctions against uh, uh, Belarus officials because they are trying to link um, the sanctions against Belarus with the sanctions against Turkey. So basically, according to these reports, uh, Nicosia is refusing to give the go-ahead for the sanctions against Belarus we, unless sanctions against Turkey uh, are also put forward and enforced. Uh, if you remember, there have been some sanctions, but of a very small degree against some Turkish nationals that are involved in the drillings in the internationally recognized Cyprus exclusive economic zone. But Nicosia is pushing for stricter uh, sanctions. And in fact, the Cyprus Minister of Foreign Affairs, Mr. Nikos Christodoulidis, he, he was open to the Greek Cypriot press that they are, that Cyprus is indeed trying to link the two procedures and that Cyprus is indeed trying to make a connection between uh, the sanctions against Belarus with the sanctions against Turkey. And as Mr. Christodoulidis is stating, this is because they do not want, Cyprus does not want the EU to have double standards on the way it is acting in its foreign policy. Where is Russia in this picture? Antomani? Yes, and this is this is the this is the issue, Kemal. Now, because now um, this approach is kind of becoming immersed in the wider setting of uh, the Russian relations as well, because you know, I mean, the the relationship between Lukashenko, the Belarusian uh, president, with Russia is well known, and some international analysts are claiming that basically the reason why Nicosia is refusing to impose sanctions against Belarus is not the Turkey uh, dispute, but is because of its relation with Russia and uh, with Russian oligarchs. It has been interesting to see a wave of such comments 
on uh, social media from international commentators the past few days, especially after the reports in the European press emerged about uh, uh, the stance of Nicosia. It is interesting that <laughs> Nicosia la last week invited the Russian foreign minister to Cyprus and we even uh, gave him the highest honor that can be given to a foreign uh, uh, official. It was interesting that this visit happened on the day that the G7, which is basically a group of the seven uh, of seven countries, Canada, Italy, France, Japan, Germany, United Kingdom and the US. So this visit happened on the day that the G7 issued a statement condemning Russia about the Navalny poisoning and uh, stating that they expect from Russia to give an adequate response as to what happened in the case of the poisoning of Mr. Navalny, who is an opposition leader in Russia. So you see how all this is kind of tied up together at the moment because Cyprus is yet again in the spotlight for serving interests that are different to those of the EU. But at the same time, one has to note that uh, Greek Cypriots do not view this in this way. On the contrary, the stance by the government has uh, received the approval, I would say, of the public and of the media uh, in Cyprus because they see this as, as an attempt by Cyprus to call for solidarity from its EU partners. So it is interesting that the international reaction to what is happening is widely different to the local reaction and the domestic reaction to what is happening. So if a government is interested about domestic approval, I would say that the Republic of Cyprus government has managed to gain that when it comes to the way it is acting at the moment. The question is, to what extent this stance will indeed impact Cyprus's relationship with its EU partners within the EU? Because some people have spoken of that maybe the European Union will not actually forget this stance by Cyprus in the future. So it is kind of a very perplex situation, but it is interesting to see how the different rhetorics are all tied together and it is not we are not talking about a single rhetoric or a case that is simple at the moment. You know, it is a popular thing to talk about multilateral diplomacy and then I think it is a logical thing to say that in today's world there isn't a single cause for a single action. Most of the times there are overlapping, let's say, claims and overlapping issues which uh, help a country to decide their own foreign policy. Having said that, I think one of the, the problems that, as far as I see, that the Republic of Cyprus uh, has is en encountered with is uh, some sort of a, a cre credibility. I'm not saying that they're right or wrong, but there seems to be an issue um, from the, the EU side regarding how, especially after the Al Jazeera reports and what happened maybe in, in Crown Montana, that, uh, that this is a, a rather headache than a, an issue that needs EU solidarity. So I'm not saying that they're right. I'm just, uh, I think, saying that there are some circles within the EU that look 
the issue, look at the issue from this perspective. No, you're absolutely right on this. And this is why previously I referred to uh, the impressions about the relationship with uh, between Cyprus and Russian and Belarusian uh, oligarchs. And these impressions have been aggravated following the Al Jazeera revelations. So, and, and especially, I would say, the way that the Republic of Cyprus chose to handle those revelations. So, this case of credibility is there. I'm not sure about the extent to which uh, the Greek Cypriot public understands this. I would say that your view lies in the minority of views that are heard in the public domain, but it is clearly there and it is always worthwhile looking at issues from the international perspective as well, because at the end of the day, decisions are not taken only by domestic players, especially on issues such as the dispute in the Eastern Mediterranean, in which all countries involved in some way expect the international community to mediate. Uh, having said that, I would like to also mention that the US Secretary of State is also coming to Cyprus tomorrow. It was an unexpected decision. So you see that it's not only the Russian influence that is being played at the moment, but at the same time, you have the US attempt not to lose control of the Eastern Mediterranean as Russia is also attempting the same thing. So the game is not only played within the EU, but it is played on a on a greater international context, I would say. What can we expect from now on? I mean, of course, we cannot guess the future, but what are the potential, um, let's say, developments that we might be seeing in a weeks or a month's time? Well, you know, I mean, first of all, anything that happens regarding Cyprus, I think it cannot be disassociated from what happens in the waters of Greece and Turkey as well, because we have that dispute that is ongoing. In fact, it it is interesting to know that the Greek prime minister, in an article in the Times, he explicitly said that a while ago, Greece and Turkey managed to reach a written understanding uh, after Berlin had attempted to broker talks between the sides. Uh, these attempts, though, did not materialize uh, because, according to Mr. Mitsotakis, uh, Turkey chose to disclose the informal meetings between the sides, and that led to a misunderstanding, apparently. So that kind of shows that Greece was willing to engage in a dialogue, but it wasn't willing to have it made public before concluding the dialogue. So that was an interesting development. So now we've got the visit by Pompeo, who is now claiming that he wants to attempt to have the problems in the Eastern Mediterranean be resolved by diplomatic and peaceful means. So I believe that as we had anticipated a while ago, this thing is now beyond the hands of Cypriots. And this thing is now in the international realm. It is causing an international concern. And the international community is now trying to mediate in the whole discussion. The extent to which the wants and desires of Cypriots will actually be heard in this situation remains unclear. And it is something that we should all bear in mind at this stage and when we refer to a situation with so high stakes at the moment. We understand that Cyprus is a small country and that there are bigger players involved. But, you know, you and I, we have always advocated that we should be acting responsibly as Cypriots in order to be able to maximize 
our role in such a big game and then the moment you you miss that opportunity the others will have a, have a say more say and then you lose your chance to become more influential um, in the game yeah okay so we will see how things will be developing maybe i also mention a little bit about what's going on in the north it's interesting to see that in all these discussions that are currently taking place the north is kind of sidelined first of all and the Turkish Cypriot community does not seem to be following that uh, closely uh, when it comes to everything that is happening but I, I think you need to brief us on what is on the mind of Turkish Cypriots and I, I would make a guess that at the moment it's COVID-19. It is indeed COVID-19 it's partly because of the realistic attitude of the Turkish Cypriot community that they understand that their stake in such a big equation, I'm talking about the recent developments in EastMed, their role will be very limited and they understand where the Turkish Cypriots will be playing a role, especially when it comes to the Cyprus problem. And you know that there are elections coming up which had been postponed, they were supposed to take place earlier, but now we are hoping to have elections in October. But we have again uh, encountered with another panic and uh, a rise of, uh, of cases. The interesting thing is that, in fact, the rules that uh, we, we put are actually strict, um, even more strict than uh, Republic of Cyprus controlled area. Um, yes, when because... it comes to the arrivals from the airport, I think you you, you impose stricter uh, uh, rules. Yeah, we have been applying stricter rules. We were asking double PCR, but I think the and now the older flights uh, ha- have been suspended now until a further notice because of the the massive reaction in the Turkish Cypriot community. The thing is that the main reason why people are panicking is because they understand that our health infrastructure is not strong enough to face a bigger crisis. And this is the main problem rather than having um, cases in the north. And uh, currently, I think now that all the uh, casinos are closed, all the clubs are now closed, all the flights have been suspended. I think things are now uh, will be going uh, to zero again because we have experienced two months of zero cases. I know that there um, there has been um, let's say suspicion about the the reality of those figures in the north. Whether they are true or not, it's another discussion. But me, as a Turkish Cypriot living in the Turkish Cypriot community, I know that if there were serious cases i would hear this because there is no way that we can we can hide it in such a small community you know kemal this is what you just said uh, is actually what i always think when i hear of all the uh, mistrust when it comes to the cases in the north and you know knowing how what a small community the turkish cypriot community is one knows that had this been the case had indeed the north been hiding something uh, it would be very difficult to actually hide it from the people themselves. And for us that we are in contact with Turkish Cypriots, it is very difficult for this to be in any way hidden or non-disclosed. Especially us being Cypriots and loving <laughs> gossip a lot, 
In fact, there have been so many rum rumors on social media. You should have seen all those secret messages and then, you know, voicemails that I have been receiving about the number of cases that there are, you know, one hundred thousand million gazillion of cases in that village or in that hospital eventually we found out that most of them were rumors which have been created by by cypriots and um, i think it just underlines uh, our ability to really come up with uh, such scenarios actually that's funny because uh, in the greek cypriot community the the rumors and the theories are that the virus does not exist so <laughs> it's funny to see that on the one side you have people discussing that it it exists to a greater extent than it is reported uh, but in the south you hear so often being discussed uh, that you know i don't know anyone who got sick from uh, covid and you know we follow the international trend of uh, uh, denying the importance of this actually there is a big there was one very big demonstration protesting the covid measures a few weeks ago and there is another one tomorrow uh, so it is getting bigger and it is indeed following the international trend of uh, COVID-19 denialism. I also remember we discussed with little disappointment, okay, maybe even a bigger disappointment, the number of people joining those demonstrations are, are so high and uh, the, the real issues which include Warosha and, you know, people's concerns, they are generally overlooked nowadays. Uh, that is true, and uh, having participated in the demonstration about Varosha in the South last week, I must say that people there were indeed discussing that uh, it was disappointing to see that um, you know, a demonstration against COVID-19 could rally so many uh, hundreds of people, uh, whilst the demonstration of Famagusta did not manage to get together that uh, high a number. Having said that, this does not mean that the demonstration was not successful at its own end, but, uh, you know, it is a comparison that it is made. But I'm sure there are things to discuss about that when it comes to the years that we have been discussing some issues and we need to acknowledge and appreciate that people are tired of some issues and not only are they tired but they don't see a way out whilst the issue of COVID is something that is current, is something that is deemed urgent, is something that is, is perceived as directly influencing the lives of people whilst the issue of Famagusta, while it influences the lives of people, it this uh, the impression is that it does not because of the so many years that it exists so it is interesting to put this into this perspective it um, is also understandable that many famagustians are really disappointed and uh, they lost uh, their belief that something is going to happen particularly now that the, the the relations between turkey and greece are not the best and then there are other problems um circle encircling us and I think the fact that um, that we have failed to really do something um, in the during the talks up until Kram Montana disheartened people even more.
Well, I, I think that the unification movement is, a, is in need of a new rhetoric and a new vision to put forward and a new means to uh, deliver its message. But this is <laughs> a huge discussion that is not uh, for the time being. I'm sure we have other means to discuss it. But when you were discussing the COVID-19 in the North before, you said that you are hoping to have the elections in the Turkish Cypriot community in October. What do you think about that? Do you think that uh, the situation with COVID could actually influence the taking place of the elections or not? In fact, it was Akunji himself between the first and the second wave, if you, if we define the second rise as the second wave. Um, it was him who suggested that we should have the elections in August and not wait until October. And this was not accepted by the other candidates because they were thinking that Akinji was trying to um, use the time which was in favor um, for him. And um, rather than uh, accepting it, they said, no, we want to um, do it in October. Now there are concerns whether it will be possible to do it or not. But personally, I think it will be possible and it should take place because it is really damaging the fight against COVID because whatever you do, everybody's thinking that you are saying these things and doing these things because you're trying to get points for the elections. It is really harming the fight against COVID, but it's also putting a lot of pressure on, on each and every person who is in the office in the Turkish Cypriot community. We need to move on and then we need to uh, also uh, use this opportunity hopefully after a, a pro-solution candidate wins the election to really go back and to the secretary general and tell them that okay we are ready to to continue where we left off and it might hopefully it will hopefully create some sort of a new dynamics uh, in the cyprus talks as well Yes, because all of us uh, Cyprop geeks are, uh, <laughs> are waiting for the elections in the Turkish Cypriot community for any, if anything is going to start moving. Not that we are very hopeful, but that's the condition for anything to go ahead. So we need that. Andromahi podcasters always have this question in their minds whether they are really being heard or not. I know that uh, we are getting some feedback um, and then particularly you want to share some of this feedback uh, with us. Yes, I wanted to say that I received some very interesting feedback from an economist and friend and a person that I I respect uh, regarding our comments last uh, in the last uh, podcast in which we had referred to the European Union's support to to the negotiations and to the whole process of uh, of talks between the sides and uh, this economist he he pointed out to me that uh, he feels that basically the European Union Union is in fact not doing enough when it comes to offering solutions and ways out of problems that arise between the two communities in the negotiations. He was uh, he has a lot of insights, of course, which I respect. Uh, I'm not going to publicly pointed out, but it was a very interesting perspective to see because he insisted that had the European Union been willing and being more vocal in public on certain issues, a lot of uh, obstacles would have been uh, surpassed and even the, the public opinion in both sides could have been much better prepared when it comes to the negotiations. 
and he also made it uh, clear that he believes that the EU's public engagement should have been more extended. And I really appreciated the feedback because it gave me a, a very interesting perspective, to be honest, because, and that I admit, a lot of times through our off-the-record contacts, uh, we hear a lot of things that are being discussed behind the scenes and everything. But we need to have in mind that what is being said in public is also very important because this is what uh, shapes public opinion and this is what makes people think the way that they think and this is what makes people people's stance uh, in the face of the negotiations and in the face of a possible Cyprus problem uh, solution. Um, so I, I think it was a very interesting perspective and I wanted to point it out because it is worthwhile to to often consider what more could have been done, even from sites and players that one might think that they have been uh, supportive of the whole uh, process. Thank you, Andromahi, and we thank our listeners. Yes. And um, I can comfortably say that um, Nicosia Ankat is one of the most listened podcasts of the Island Talks and uh, hopefully will continue our, our trend. And um, I think that's all for today, right? Yes, I think that's all. Thank you. Perfect. Stay COVID-19 free. <laughs> I'll try my best, Andromahi. <laughs> Perfect. Do the same. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.